We are on 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning, so we are closing out this first portion of our series. And next week we're moving into 2 Thessalonians. And so, um, and Paul finishes strong with this 1 Thessalonians. He says, such he, <clears throat> in true Apostle Paul fashion, he crams as much stuff as he can into this last chapter. He's like, oh, I'm running out of ink. I got to get everything in I can just so that you are equipped, that you are informed. Uh, but before we get too far, now that Redverse has joined us, I want you to give a big, warm, one-church welcome to our new youth pastor, newly minted and arrived on Friday, Pastor Mitch Stiller. Come on up, sir. I was teasing Darren, because I didn't know how tall Mitch was. Um, apparently there's a height restriction on our hiring process, but Darren gets a pass, because he's here before us, so he gets to stick around. Um, but uh, I invited Mitch to say a few words, and then at the end of service, we are going to pray a prayer over him to kickstart this ministry. So after I'm done doing what I do, I invite you to stick around so we can lay hands on him, something we couldn't do in COVID. We lay hands on Mitch and pray God's richest anointing on him. But uh, before that, why don't you share? Well, good morning, everybody. Um, also, no, no for after. I heard that Tim was planning an interpretive dance as well. So are you, are you you're good? you good for it? Okay, sweet. So Tim's going to do that. Um, man, I am just so excited to be here. It's been a long, how long have we been waiting? Like a month or something? It's, it's, yeah. it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a hot minute, okay? Um, and uh, just the whole way out here, it took us about, uh, it was, I think it was about a 27-hour drive from uh, southern Ontario, and um, it was nice for the first, like, 10 maybe, you know, going up and around the lakes, and it was beautiful, uh, but it took us 19 hours to get out of Ontario, and I was kind of sick of it at that point. <laughs> I was just like, get me out of here, man. Um, no, but I'm just so excited to be here, um, and uh, one thing I'm, I'm most excited about is just uh, uh, there's a real uh, community here that I feel that I can uh, belong to, right? Um, that's something I think was uh, incredibly lost during uh, COVID. You know, we kind of had to keep uh, apart and cover our faces. And we d it seemed like we lost uh, uh, how to interact with each other and, and be the church. So I'm just so excited that this is a, a place. And I can see it. I've been here for two days, and I've met the most, just the friendliest people here. And I, uh, yeah, I just can't wait to belong to this community and uh, just glorify the Lord through uh, fellowship with every one of you and uh, just see what God has for uh, the students here. Perfect. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah, we are looking forward to seeing all that you're going to Yeah, you're good. You're Yeah. No, I'm going to make you stand there awkwardly all service long while I preach. Um, so I, I, I want to say, and I know you didn't do it for the accolades or anything, but I want to say thanks to Tim and the guys. They were not, Mitch and his family were not expecting the welcoming crew that unloaded the U-Haul in 10 minutes. They had like an hour and a half allotted to unload that thing, and the guys showed up, and of course, and they were, did it quick enough that Tim didn't have to pay him overtime. It was awesome, it was great. So <laughs> they, they worked hard, blessed them, and so, and, and we have, you guys have all been so hospitable and welcoming, and so it's been good uh, just to start it right. So, and like, see, like you said, in COVID, we've been so isolated. It's been good to have you as a church respond so well and just accept him with open arms. Um, so we're going to dive into the sermon 
Um, <clears throat> to kick it off, in a sort of me doing the recap, uh, I found a little clip. Uh, it's from something called the Bible Project. As I said earlier, we have all these fantastic resources that you as a church have full access to. And one of these resources is called Faith Life TV. It's kind of like Right Now Media. Um, it's got all kinds of great Christian teaching. It's got, it actually has like Bible college classes on it if you really want to like dive deep into the stuff. But it's got sermon series and everything. Our sermon series are all posted there. But it has this thing called the Bible Project. And Bible Project has book summaries, character summaries. And well, you're going to see, they do it in a fun way. So I'm going to let them, if you've missed this whole series, I'm going to let them recap it for you. Um, well, I'm going to stop talking and let them do it. Oh. This is most likely the first We'll let you kill the music first, and then we'll, uh, we'll try that again. All right, let's try that. He's our Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. This is most likely the earliest letter that we have from Paul, and the backstory for it is found in the book of Acts. It's where Paul and his co-worker Silas went to the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica. And after just one month of telling people the good news about Jesus, a large number of Jewish and Greek people gave their allegiance to Jesus, and they formed the first church community there. But trouble was brewing. Paul's announcement of the risen Jesus as the true Lord of the world, it led to suspicion. So the Christians in Thessalonica were eventually accused of defying Caesar, the Roman emperor, when they said that there is another king, Jesus. And this led to a persecution that got so intense, Paul and Silas actually had to flee from the city. And this was painful for them because they loved the people there so much. And so this letter is Paul's attempt to reconnect with the Christians in Thessalonica after he got a report from Timothy that they were doing more than okay, they were flourishing despite this intense persecution. He designed the letter to have two main movements. First is a celebration of their faithfulness to Jesus, and then he challenges them to keep growing as followers of Jesus. And then these two movements are surrounded by three prayers. The letter opens with a thanksgiving prayer. The two movements are linked together by a transitional prayer. And then the whole thing is concluded with a final prayer. It's a beautiful design. Paul opens by giving thanks and celebrating the Thessalonians' faith, their love for others, and their hope in Jesus despite persecution. He goes on to retell the story of their conversion, how they used to be idolatrous polytheists, and they were living in a culture where all of life was permeated by institutions and practices that honored the Greek and Roman gods. And Paul talks about how they turned away from those idols to serve the living and true God, and that they're now waiting for the coming of God's Son from heaven. So in a city like Thessalonica, transferring your allegiance to the creator God of Israel and to King Jesus, this came at a cost. Isolation from your neighbors, hostility from your family. But for the Thessalonians, the overwhelming love of Jesus who died for them and the hope of his return, it made it all worth it. 
Paul then retells the story of his mission in Thessalonica and of the dear friendships he formed with the people. He uses really intimate metaphors here. They treated him like their child, and he became like their mother and like their father. He says, we were happy to share with you not only the good news from God, but our very selves, because we came to dearly love you. Paul reminds us here that the essence of Christian leadership is not about power and having influence. It's about healthy relationships and humble, loving service. He reminds them that he never asked for money. He simply came to love and serve them in the name of Jesus. And so Paul moves on to reflect on their common persecution. Just like Jesus was rejected and killed by his own people, so now Paul is persecuted by his fellow Jews, and the Thessalonians are facing hostility from their Greek neighbors. And Paul draws a strange comfort from knowing that together their sufferings are a way of participating in the story of Jesus' own life and death. Paul then shares about the anguish he experienced when he heard of the hardships the Thessalonians had after he and Silas fled. So he sent Timothy to support them and see how they were doing. And to his joy, Timothy discovered that they were going strong. They were faithful to Jesus. They were full of love for God and their neighbors. And they longed to see Paul as much as he longed to see them. And so Paul concludes with a prayer for endurance. And what's cool is that he introduces here the topics he's going to address in the letter's second half. He prays that God will grow their capacity to love, that he'll strengthen their commitment to holiness as they fix their hope on the return of King Jesus. So he opens the letter's second movement by challenging them to a life that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. So this means, first of all, a serious commitment to holiness and sexual purity. In contrast to the promiscuous, sexually destructive culture around them, they are to follow Jesus' teaching about experiencing the beauty and the power of sex within the haven of a committed marriage covenant relationship. God takes sexual misbehavior seriously, Paul says. It dishonors and destroys people and their dignity. Following Jesus also means a commitment to loving and serving others. So Paul instructs them that Christians should be known in the city as reliable people who work really hard, not just to make money, but so that they can have resources to provide for themselves and to generously share with people who are in need. After this, Paul addresses a number of questions the Thessalonians had raised about the future hope of Jesus' return. So some Christians in the church had recently died, most likely killed as martyrs, and their friends and family are wondering about their fate when Jesus returns. And so Paul makes it clear that despite their grief and loss, not even death can separate Christians from the love of Jesus. When he returns as king, he will call both the living and the dead to himself. And Paul uses a really cool image here. He uses language that would normally describe how a city subject to the Roman Caesar would send out a delegation to welcome or meet his arrival. Paul then applies this imagery to the arrival of King Jesus. He too will be greeted by a delegation of his people who will go to meet the Lord in the air as they welcome and escort him back to this world where he'll establish his kingdom of justice and peace. Paul then wants the Thessalonians to see how this hope should motivate faithfulness to Jesus. So he pokes fun at the famous Roman propaganda that it's Caesar who brings peace and security. Of course, Rome's peace came through violence, through enslaving their enemies and military occupation. And Paul warns that Jesus will return as king one day and confront this kind of injustice. 
Followers of King Jesus should live in the present as if that future day is already here. Despite the nighttime of human evil around them, they should stay sober and awake as the light of God's kingdom dawns here on earth as it is in heaven. Paul closes all of these exhortations like he began with a hopeful prayer, that God would permeate their lives with his holiness, that he would set them apart to be completely devoted and blameless until the return of King Jesus. 1 Thessalonians reminds us that from the very beginning, following Jesus as king has produced a truly countercultural or holy way of life. And this will sometimes generate suspicion and conflict among our neighbors. But the response of Jesus' followers to such hostility should always be love, meeting opposition with grace and generosity. And this way of life, it's motivated by hope in the coming kingdom of Jesus that has already begun in his resurrection from the dead. And so holiness, love, and future hope, that's what 1 Thessalonians is all about. There you go. Holiness, love, and future hope. Your three takeaways from this chapter. So I hope you like the video. Like I said, they've got the whole Bible done. They've got a whole bunch of really cool resources. And uh, I really encourage you to check it out. But let's dive in. We're going di- to do the deep dive of chapter 5. And uh, there's, like I said, there's lots packed into this little chapter. So we will move quickly. Um, try to highlight a few things along the way. But here we go, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, kind of like they said, right, the Romans, there's peace and security because Caesar brings this. And Paul's saying, No, there will be sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. So Paul says, you guys are already really good at this whole building up, but I want you to be aware. I want you to be children of the light. And he picks up this whole thief in the night analogy. And this is not the first time we've heard this. Jesus used this analogy that the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. And this is how the analogy goes, kind of my own spin on it. So If you are at home and a thief is scoping out your place and you don't know it, when you go to bed that night, do you change anything about your routine, how you lock the doors, how you turn? Probably not. 
If you don't know the thief is coming, you don't change anything. You go to bed the same way you always do. You, lock, you maybe lock the door, you maybe lock the vehicle, you turn off the lights, and you go to bed, and you sleep soundly, you know, whatever your bedtime is, because you have no reason to be alarmed. You have no reason to be alert and waiting. But if you knew the thief was coming, and I know this is where the analogy breaks down. How do I know the thief is coming? I don't know. You see him scoping it. I don't know. But you know the thief is coming. You do your night routine very differently. You check the doors probably three or four times. You probably leave a light on to give the impression that somebody's awake. You probably sleep with one or both eyes open. And some of you are going to pull up in your lazy boy, shine your shotgun, and wait. Go ahead, thief. Make my day. Right? Like that is how your night routine is not the same if you know he is coming. And, Jesus, and Paul and Jesus say the same thing. You know you know that Jesus is returning. I don't know what's going on with my mic. You know that Christ is returning. You know that the day of the Lord is at hand. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour, but you don't have to know those details to be ready. That truth of Christ's return should influence you to, re to live differently. And when he talks about this sleeping and drunkenness and sober, and he's talking about how he's relating to the fact that when you are drunk, you're clouded and you're not thinking clearly and you're not aware of what's going on around you. So he's saying, be sober in your thinking. Be alert. Be aware. He uses, in other places, he uses this watchman, watchtower idea that you are watching for the signs that Christ is returning. Like I said, you don't have to know the day and the hour to ready yourself, to be, to live differently, because you don't, you should. Each and every person who believes and anticipates the return of Christ will learn, live differently than the person who does not know Christ is returning. You should. You should live differently. You should be preparing not only yourself, but your neighbor and your family, making sure that everything is good and ready for Christ's return. You should be different because of this truth. So Paul says you should be ready as if a thief, you know the thief is coming. You know Jesus is coming. You might not know the day, you might not know the hour, but you know. And Paul lived every single day as if Christ was going to return, and a lot of years has passed since the Apostle Paul was walking around. So that means we are just that much closer we're just that much truer to that fact that one day, any minute, any second, Christ will return and we will meet him in the air. As they said, bring him as a royal <coughs> meeting party, basically, as he comes and he establishes. And my goodness gracious. Yep, we're going to change mics here, people. Well, maybe that's the cue to move on to the next part. Verse 12. And we're going to get it in this next part, the next, second part of chapter 5, we're going to get into the one of Paul's infamous lists, and they're going to cover a lot of things. So we're going to try and highlight a few um, as we go. So here we go, starting in verse 12, maybe. There we go. 
We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Hmm. We're good with the admonishing. We're sometimes good with the encouraging and the helping of the weak, but then we have to do it patiently, Paul says. Don't get frustrated with the idol. Don't get frustrated when somebody is struggling with something and you help them. I just helped you with that. Yes, be, you can't say that, though. Be patient with them as they wrestle and they get through. Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted, but patiently. That should be in, like, big, bold text, I think. I think I'm going to capitalize it in my Bible. Anyways, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This next part, I think, if you grew up in church, you could probably recite this next part by memory. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, one of the big things that stands out to me from this list, and we talked about this last week, how holiness has so often been talked about as all the things that you're not supposed to do. And last week I said, holiness has just as much with staying away from the wrong thing as doing the right thing. Holiness is about doing good things, doing the things that God has called you to do. And this list of Paul's highlights that hugely. Starting at verse 12, there's a long list of things you're supposed to be doing. Your holiness and your faith is to be active and moving. And then at the end, he tags on, oh yeah, by the way, because you're holy, abstain from every kind of evil. Now that's a big statement, every kind. Stay away from everything that's evil, stay away from everything that's sinful, but he doesn't draw attention to it the same way he draws attention to everything else. The other big thing that I want us to see out of this list is that those three verses, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstance. And I think it would be safe to say that you could probably read those three lines as rejoice always, pray always, give thanks always. Always. May those three things be happening in your life and in your day-to-day routine, your hour-to-hour routine. Do these things always. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the second time Paul has used those words in two chapters. Last week he said, God's will for you is to sanctify you, to make you holy, to day by day bring you closer and closer to his standard of holiness. And in this chapter he says, this is also the will of God for you, that you would rejoice always. You would always have a heart that rejoices and praises God, that you would always be in prayer, because there's never a shortage of things to pray about. Never. If you run out of things to pray about, talk to me, I'll give you my list. And then you'll be like, you'll regret it, okay? There's always something to pray about and give thanks in all circumstances and i think sometimes the reason he throws the prayer in is there's times in life where the rejoicing is hard 
The praising is hard. It's just like, I do not feel like worshiping today. I do not feel like rejoicing and giving thanks in this circumstance. And so what we need to do in that is not complain, not become discontent and bitter, but to say, okay, God, I know you're bigger than this situation. I know you're bigger than this circumstance. So where is the silver lining? Where is the praise? And more times than not, the praise point in any situation is the fact that you don't have to go it alone. God is right there, and he's bigger than the situation. He's bigger than the circumstance. Life is full of reasons to praise. And even in those times when it doesn't come naturally to praise and to give thanks, there's always something. And then at the end of the day, like we said when we started, Jesus' name is enough reason to praise. No matter when the finances are tough or work's not going your way or everything is just working against you, God is still for you. And God is still bigger than everything that's going on. And so Paul says, rejoice. Worship God always because he is good and he is present. He is always with you. Give thanks for everything everything. And it's amazing how we get in this habit of giving thanks. We just become content. We don't, we stop longing for more. We stop dreaming up ways of going into debt to get something we really don't need because you're just like, oh God, I thank you for, I thank you for what you've given me. And even in those times, it's really hard. It's just like, God, show me what I need. Show me what I am missing because life is really tough right now. And Paul closes with this. He has this really, like it said in the video, Paul closes with this really cool prayer. And I pray this over you, and it's a good summary of everything that has been talked about in 1 Thessalonians. It's a good summary of everything we've highlighted over the last number of weeks. Paul says this, man, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, make you holy, completely. Nothing held back, nothing unwashed, nothing unrenewed. Sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, whole soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul makes, or I should probably read the whole thing first. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Paul is saying that he's praying for not just their spiritual health, but he's praying for their whole person, that their whole life would be sanctified, kept blameless, that we would be found ready and waiting and excited for the return of Christ. And Paul closes the prayer by reminding us that our sanctification our joy, our redemption, our salvation is going to happen not because of what you do, but because of who God is. God is faithful. God will finish the good work he has started in you. So even when we're going along and we drop the ball, we make the mistake, and we beat ourselves up, God is still good. God is still at work, and God will continue to finish the work that he has started in you. Because even when we are unfaithful, God never stops being faithful. God never stops being committed to your growth, to your development, to you becoming all that he has destined you to become. So I pray that over you. That God would completely sanctify you. That your whole person, body, soul, and spirit would be kept blameless before the return of Christ. 
and that you would rely not on your strength, not on your faithfulness, but on God's strength and God's faithfulness to finish the good work that he has done, started in you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the work that you are doing. I thank you that you are our God, that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us, and that we have the hope and the the assuredness that you are returning. God, how I pray for everyone that we are aware, that we are living in expectation of the return of the Savior, that we would look forward to that day, that we would not be caught off guard, that we would not be found unaware and sleeping, but that we would be excited and anticipating the good and glorious day of your return. Father, be with us. Continue the good work in each and every one of us. I pray for our, everyone has a great week this week. Uh, God bless. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.